Welcome to Rethink, the Financial Advisor Podcast. My name is Adam Holtz. And this is Derek Notman. We are your hosts, both veteran advisors and fintech CEOs who challenge the status quo, question everything, and have fun doing it. Hear honest commentary on the challenges facing advisors today. And be part of a community where we can all rethink the profession. Now on to our episode. Adam, my man, when you started off as an advisor, when you you were building your practice, did you think of yourself more as an advisor or as an entrepreneur? See, that's an interesting question because today, as we both know, we both think of ourselves as entrepreneurs, but it was a, it was a, it was a long haul. I, I, I wanted to just be oh. the best advisor, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. For early years, I mean, I, I've got gray hair. You know, I had gray hair in my 30s for a reason. You have white hair. <laughs> I've <laughs> got white hair gray. now. <laughs> Dude, it's, I've, got, I've got stress highlights, okay? Nice. They're somehow strangely consistent, so your entire head is white. <laughs> Very consistent but it, it is an inter- It's an interesting question. Like, what were you? Like, I'm, I'm guessing you, there was like a transition. I don't know. Like, I mean, we've got probably a ton of advisors. I'm hoping there's more than three of you because your mom's not an advisor listening to this podcast, although she does listen. She would argue. Thank that. you. Um, but like earlier stage advisors or even like any stage, like there is a difference. There's a big well, difference. What- yeah. I, I, I look, I, the answer to your question for me is I went through different phases. One of the, one of the things that someone early on told me was that this is the only business, remember business, not practice always, business that you could have no inventory, have no cap on the upside, right? Control all your time. And that sounded really like an entrepreneurial gig. But that doesn't, because... they right? They, but they never necessarily told me how to run the business. I was taught how to sell, sell, and uh, sometimes how to service, as long as it meant that there was a cross sell in it. Um, yeah. yeah. So the, the actual running of the practice, and then ultimately the entrepreneurial aspect of it, um, was really self taught. I, I really think it was self taught. And there's a difference in mindset that I've learned becoming an, an entrepreneur. And I, I know you did some research on this. What what have you found so far? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, when I start, I, I was laughing because it is so true what you're saying. I, I remember like like wow, that sounds like a hell of an I hell of a, of a deal here. Like I don't have to go get a warehouse and stock it up and hire people. I just go to work and I can make as much as I want. What was it like? Um, you're in business for yourself, but not by yourself. Mm, there <laughs> that's you go. That's, that's where some are told. Anyways, um, I digress. Um, I did. Oh, <laughs> I was very lonely. Oh, uh, I, I did a, uh, a poll on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. Go follow Adam. And I, if you're not already, you should. Um, about ask, I asked advisors, is being a financial advisor the same thing as being an entrepreneur? And it was, it was, I didn't expect the response that I got, but only, let's put it this way, only 44% said no. 25% said yes, 100%, it's the same thing. 29% said somewhere in the middle. Hmm. So I think the, the, what, I, what I walked away with this is that the majority of people, uh, again, remember most of the people answering this survey, this poll was almost 1,000 people wow. are advisors. Most of them, the majority think that there, is, there are entrepreneurial aspects to being an advisor. But then to your point, Adam, we're not taught those things. When we're building the business, not the practice, the business. 
Well, that's interesting because what I just heard you say is that you know pretty much half think that there's some kind of entrepreneur, but but forty four percent said no, it, it's not the same thing. And I guess the question in all the commentary was, what does it mean to be an entrepreneur? And one of the things that we did decide to do, as you know, Derek, is we've chosen certain subject matter experts based upon what they tend to see in the marketplace. And we recently had an opportunity to interview Robert Sophia, who's a co-founder of Snappy Kraken. And for those of you that don't know, uh, Snappy Kraken is is really an, it's an award-winning marketing technology firm. They're getting a lot of attention right now. They focus on marketing automation, online advertising, and they're really bold. I don't know if you've seen their stuff. Very unique um, for financial advisors, professionals, uh, and they do marketing campaigns. I know he just released the book, Blend Out, which we'll talk about. Um, and I've really been watching Snappy, uh, Snappy Kraken, as we call them, uh, and they've just made a splash in the advisor spice. And, and I wanted to ask Robert this exact question, right? So here's his response. And I asked him, I said, what, what's your unique perspective on the state of advice? Let's listen to what Robert shared on the Rethink Tank. Well, I, I'm, I love it. I'm passionate about it. I've been in this industry for almost 20 years, and I think it keeps getting better and better. Uh, I think financial services, specifically financial planning, it's something everyone needs. Uh, it's something not enough people get. And I think we're in a space that's ripe for consolidation and disruption, and that makes it exciting to me. That's true. Well, you know, living in this space, you've obviously done a fantastic job living and breathing this for financial advisors. Tell us, what do you think is the missing opportunity out there advisors are not paying attention to? There are a couple of them. It'd be hard for me to just mention one, but I think the, the if you wrap them all into one general theme, it's customer expectations. Um, people's expectations are changing around mobile experiences, uh, around being able to do everything on the go. If you look at almost every study that's done, I mean, there was, there was just a P, uh, PwC study that was done. At least half of consumers prefer to use their devices for all their transactions rather than going to a bricks and mortar location. And and most firms still operate on a very sort of old school bricks and mortar approach. And their technology is not as advanced or as easy or as accessible. And so if you if you start looking at where the the opportunity is I think it's around the the customer first experiences and even things like AI and I know a lot of people use that as a as a buzzword and that's not how I'm using it here but if you look at all the major financial institutions 86% of them at least I think that was the last 86 or 87% are investing heavily in AI but how many advisors really are so when it comes to customer service portfolio management recommendations of financial products sales and marketing algorithmic trading fraud detection i mean it's all ai powered and so i think the, these are the opportunities to build a highly scalable customer centric practice that runs with a lot of artificial intelligence is is where the future is for this industry Gosh, that's amazing. I mean, there's so much to think about. I can't help but think that most advisors would be overwhelmed, right? I mean, for the most part, they're they're doing their they're running their practice. They think they're starting to integrate maybe a CRM, maybe portfolio management. You're talking about AI. So help us understand what are some steps? Well, how can we actually make turn this into actionable effort? What are some areas that we can start that process? Yeah, well, I think it all begins with having more of an entrepreneurial mindset than a sales mindset. So I, I've personally supported over 6,000 advisors just over the course of the last few years in various capacities. And one of the things that I see is, is the majority, they are thinking about their business like, I need to get leads, I need to get more clients, I need to have more opportunities, I need to grow my assets under management. And those are very 
surface level performance indicators. What they really need to be thinking about is what drives enterprise value. And that is a lot more encompassing. That is things like, how do you generate more recurring revenue? How do you incorporate more scalable technology? How do you create stronger brand that you can own that has value? And if you start thinking about your business as an enterprise and you start looking at the things that enterprises are valued on, then you start building in your business more strategically. And, and that's what I think advisors need to do. And if, if they do, all these other things, I mean, you know, the AI that I mentioned, I'm not saying advisors need to go out and develop their own AI, but they're going to start thinking about what technology tools are going to empower them to have a more advanced practice that has more in enterprise value, and that's going to lead to better decision-making. Yeah. No, I, we completely agree. Obviously, Derek and I talk about this all the time and thinking like an entrepreneur. So I'm really excited that you're, you're sharing that. You know, I'm curious, you obviously written a book recently that just came out. I'm really excited to read it myself and it's getting great traction. What was the, what was the thinking behind that? What was the message that you were trying to share? Is it aligned with this entrepreneurship? It is. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the concept of blend out is, it really comes down to the fact that it, mo- most advisors, if, if they, have a, a small practice in a small town and, and, and a celebrity were to move in and set up a practice next door to them, that celebrity's practice would blow up. And it has nothing to do with that, their qualifications. It would have everything to do with the fact that they are known. Well, there are amazingly talented, well-qualified advisors, but people are not beating down their doors to do business with them because they are not blending out. They don't stand out enough. They're not known enough. They don't have enough of a presence. And so the whole book is about how to really scale that valuable brand, whether it's your person or your business brand, and do it in a way that really draws ideal clients to you and a framework for maintaining that and continuing to uh, accelerate it over time. So it's you think of the word stand out, well, blend out. It's just a, a little play on that, but it's, it just means you're going to do the opposite of blending in. You're going to really get noticed for who you are and what you're great at, and you're going to draw people to you as a result. Now, that was interesting. You know, it was, Derek, there was a couple of things that really kind of hit home for me. What did you think about his first comments about uh, how much is being invested in technology and this artificial intelligence? I mean, did, did, that, did that resonate with you at all? Well, dude, like... I sure as hell hope that advisors are listening to that. If anything else, like you can put Adam and I on mute, but I sure as heck hope you had to hear what, what Sophia just had to say there. Cause that stuff was brilliant. Um, he made some really excellent points about what's going on and we'll, we'll unpack a couple of them here, but yeah, I, like this whole investing in, 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 in technology and AI and all of that type of stuff. Yeah. Advisors don't need, you don't need to go make it up yourself. Like that's not what you do. That's fine. But look at where the big money is being spent. Mm-hmm. And you know why they're spending it there? Because the consumer wants it and expects it, right? Like mobile over brick and mortar and all of this stuff. So it's just fascinating. He's just saying what's happening, what's out there. And of course, he's got a pretty good finger on the pulse serving over 6,000 advisors. Um, but it's so true. Like as an advisor, you know, when I have my advisor cap on, Adam, I think of that, I'm like, Dude, like if I don't have these things, if I'm not investing in tech in some way and not doing this stuff, like I am going to be obsolete so much faster than it, like 10, 20, 30 years ago. I don't know. What, what, what were your thoughts? Well, it's funny because when I first heard this, I, I was thinking to myself from the in, in, environment, I'm uh, sorry, the entrepreneurial mindset, 
advisors, if you approach this problem as an advisor, you hear artificial intelligence and you're thinking, this is a human business, right? This is a, <laughs> right, why, why, yeah. the technology has always been a bane of my existence. I don't, I can, I can do just fine with a yellow pad and a calculator. Take it all, take all the tech away from me and I'm just fine. And that's, then that's probably true for a lot of advisors because they know their relationship value, the confidence they give their clients is enough to probably carry them. You know, you give me some, you know, some basic trading account and I can help people and, you know, I'll help them buy and make good decisions, right? But the, what, what's happening here, the change that's happening is that technology is infiltrating in so many levels that we have to address this, not just from what's worked for us for the past 20 and 30 and 50 years, but rather how technology is going to force us to, to act like a business, right? To behave like a boss and, and not just like an advisor. And, and the reason is because we're going to see such pressures from where we've typically made a lot of margin, where we've had a lot of, we'll call it inefficiency. Technology is coming in there. Even artificial intelligence is coming in. And from a business perspective is going to literally eat your lunch if you're basically you know, milking the margins. And my, and my, my point to you is that, that b- because the consumer is expecting so much more from this relationship, Right, they want more value. They want more interaction. We have to use technology to release our time back to them, and that's really the key. Is you when you think about AI as a business person, you say, "Hmm, that means I could do more with less." Yep, that's what AI is really about. I can, and what is it going to free you up, Derek, to do? It's going to free my advisor time up to spend more time doing revenue-producing activity. That means interacting and adding value to my clients on the human level and offloading the stuff that's taking my time and attention and getting rid of that with technology so that I can keep my margins in line with where the cost needs to be for the consumer. And if done right, you blend that into your client experience so it improves the client experience. Which, Amen. Which, you know, boom, right? There you go. Right. But, you, but, you have to th- but he's right. You have to think like a business owner, like an entrepreneur, as opposed to a financial advisor, which is usually thinking, how do I do right by my clients and I get rewarded with AUM? Now, let's, let's talk about that for a sec, because I thought that was really quite funny. He said what you and I have been saying actually many times before. Right. He said people joke that yeah, I saw his, his eyes were rolling if you if you were able to see it at the time. Um, <laughs> when he said, you know, people measure their businesses on AUM. What do you think about that? Is that the metric? Oh man, no, I, I think it's a terrible metric. It it's one that was just like by default, we kind of arrived there as an industry. Like, well, let's see here. How can we compare all of ourselves to each other? Oh, this AUM thing was cool. Yeah. Ego Obviously, <laughs> if you've got more, you're better, right? Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> the bigger no. the ego, the bigger the ego. I, I, I no, my, that, that's, I think you, that's about the only correlation you can make with some certainty. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, I can't stand it. It, it. it comes from that, as you said, from that sales mindset instead of from an entrepreneurial mindset like how many entrepreneurs do you hear talking about AUM you know or or a comparable like that they don't that that's the, oh I can go what do they talk about now. well what do they talk about what are the KPIs that an entrepreneur looks at well that's it like recurring revenue and sales and like mm. cost of you know uh acquisition costs and brand value and enterprise and all the stuff that this guy just said right like this is, and this is what I like is because you brought Robert in as, a, as an entrepreneur who serves advisors. So he has this interesting perspective. Um, that's the stuff that's important. And if you focus on those things and do a good job, two things happen. 
One is you get more sales, you get to grow. And two is you can figure out what works good and what doesn't work. So if something's broken, you can go fix it. So sales are a byproduct of all of the entrepreneurial stuff. Where like when I started, it was literally like, hey man, you gotta, this is a race to 500 clients. And once you get there, that's success, mm-hmm. right? Now, like, well, that, that's not building a business. That's just like, a, like this sales machine to get as many people in the door to sign on the line. There's two, you know, it's funny. There's two things that were really told to me when I first started my technology practice. I realized I learned a lot on the job being a technologist because, you know, venture and and backers and investors, they they all are asking different questions of you when they're looking at you from an enterprise value. And the reason why this is relevant for practices, because we're seeing significant number of people that view their practice that as a long-term asset, they plan on selling or creating some succession plan. And so for those of you that, that do think about that, I'm going to actually sell my practice at some point. There's been a couple of things I'd, I'd love for you to take away from this. Um, one is when you have a practice mindset, you're thinking about customer first, customer interaction, and that's great. Lead with expectations and delivering value. Eventually, if you're successful doing this, you actually have to think like an entrepreneur in a business because you're running a company. There are people dependent upon you, staff, usually there are vendors, there are obligations you make. And there's, of course, an expectation long-term you're going to serve these clients. That means you need to bring in the next generation and or think about a succession plan so that there's continuity for that practice. And so long-term, there, there has to be almost two mindsets here. One is, I'm a, how do I deliver the, the best practice that aligns with my brand? And number two, how do I run a company? And unfortunately, we just haven't seen a lot of training there. What I, what I learned is to really focus on KPIs like lifetime value, which is really a, a measure of how long can I keep the business on the books um, and how much revenue will it generate as a, as a let's call it as an, an entity relative to the customer acquisition cost the, cost, the cost of actually getting a client. And there's a ratio there that you want to look at. Many acquirers look at that ratio to try to understand how efficient you're being with your capital. Are you actually, are you investable like the stocks that you help to promote for clients? Does it make sense to, to do this? Um, and I think there's a whole bunch of um, areas we can all grow in to start thinking, are we running this business efficiently? And frankly, would somebody actually want to walk into this business? Is it attractive or is it really just a cash flow business that works because you show up every day? Does it really have true enterprise value beyond yourself as the professional? And that means you actually have to find ways to actually disconnect all of that value tied to you personally being the main, uh, we'll call it relationship uh, party. And that's something I've had to learn. Wasn't, I just read a quote on this, Adam, I, like the, the greatest, most successful entrepreneurs are the ones that will build a business that they um, don't need to be a part of anymore. Like they can be excluded. Like the business can operate without them where mm-hmm. like a sales practice doesn't go anywhere without that main salesperson. That's right. And there is a huge difference there. And just as, as a little teaser, I think we're going to, for our next one of our next episodes, we're going to talk about more about this. But we've, I think the RIAs listening to this get it because they had to physically go out and set up, you know, a legal entity and get a corporate bank account and all of the things that come mm-hmm. with doing a business, right? But you've got all these BD reps and wirehouse reps that, and I'm not saying those are bad, like, and there's a ton of them there, but they're not encouraged or taught about these business things, but, and this is the challenge, like, cause they're still running a business. They just weren't told to do these other things. Cause they hooked up to someone who already did some of this infrastructure. 
Well, isn't that, and that was the allure, right? Nobody, I, I, nobody right. wanted to run a business and a practice and the compliance engine and the, all the stuff you had to do. You just come in here and do what you do great, which is relationships and, and communication, right? So, but it is true, you know, long-term scalable interest where it's not just about the single advisor and not just a cash flow business that again, supports, right? A lifestyle business. We all, we all probably got into this business to create a lifestyle business. Now that you have a lifestyle business, that's not, you know, always sellable, right? That's not going to be something that someone can purchase. So there's no capital value in the, in the instrument, if you will, that's called your practice. You know, we, we actually asked Robert one more question because it was a great follow-on to this, this discussion. So spend the next couple of two minutes here, hear what uh, Robert said. So we asked him, what do you know that many advisors are missing? I mean, what's, what's coming around the corner? I mean, if you look at all of the M&A activity in our space, all the deals of the 112 transactions in the last eight months, the ones that had over a billion in client assets made up 48 of those transactions. So what you're seeing is that the larger, well-branded, scalable, regional and national firms, those are the ones that are demanding the valuations. That's where the M&A activity is happening. So if I think about all these advisors that are making their practice their retirement and they are expecting to get a good multiple on their little $50 million or $100 million book of business. And by the way, I said little and that might be really offensive to some because that's an, that's an accomplishment. I don't want to undermine it. But from an M&A perspective and a multiple perspective, it is the large, well-branded, scalable regional firms. Those are the ones that are getting the, the real multiples. So if you really want to build a practice that has enterprise value, it means scalable, repeatable, predictable systems around marketing, around sales, and around operations. And if you don't have that in a way that allows you to scale to those levels, you're never going to reach the probably the potential you expect. And what you're going to see is, is, is as these other firms that have the resources, they keep investing in technology and they keep becoming more scalable, they're just going to be eating the lunch of these smaller advisors and they're not even going to be able to have a good exit. And I think that's where you're just going to see the consolidation accelerate po- partially from acquisitions, but partially from other firms just not being able to to make it because they don't have that entrepreneurial that that growth and and enterprise related mindset and focus so there you go i think you brought it all home and i i don't know i i really don't know that many of us in advice actually thought about that long term plan just like we do retirement planning for clients right have we done that for ourselves and built this into our long term let's say financial plan that we're expecting or would are assuming maybe an exit of some reasonable value from that practice. You know, I wonder, because I, I look at, you know, the environment I grew up in as an advisor, you were in the same environment. And I look at what happened there when succession happened. And it was like, hey, I got my pension. Mm. I'm good. I'm, I found a successor. They're, I'm like, they're going to take it all and I can just walk away. Um. And maybe that's fine for you, but like I, I think there's this massive shift. And if you are, if you want to be an entrepreneur and build more than just a lifestyle business that kind of just implodes when you leave, um, and I would hope that you wouldn't want to do that because you are making long-term promises to your clients. 
um, then you have to do what he's saying right here about, you know, scalable things that are, you know, predictable, repeatable, um, that if an acquirer comes in, whether that's a junior advisor that just wants to purchase, but chances are the junior advisor is going to have to finance this somehow, right? So we're going to have to know, like, what what's the lifetime value, right? What what's the revenue? And we're not asking AUM here. We're lock, we're asking margin and profitability and all you know all that stuff. So I don't know, Adam. It almost goes back to, do I care? Mm, that's a great point. You know, many people have asked me, even in my own ventures, they said, Adam, what are you trying to build? Are you trying to build a lifestyle business? That's one that's going to pay you cash flow, right? Give you a certain kind of lifestyle. Or is this, is this an exit opportunity where you're going to sell it for a bunch of money? And there are two different approaches. Very right? different. We run, we typically run our practices like lifestyle companies, right? We show up is the way we want. We work the way we want. Um, we know a lot of people that golf more than <laughs> work. Yeah, that's yep. their work, right? That's their lifestyle. But it, it is true. There is a mindset shift that has to happen if, in fact, you plan on having an exit. Now, one of the things that I will tell you that is very real, you just mentioned it, when you're dealing with internal succession, the question get, becomes, okay, long-term, do my younger or junior partners have the capacity to actually buy me out with cash? And if they can't and haven't, self, haven't made a fund for it or don't have the cash flow, they're going to finance it, which means once they're going to finance it, they're going to look at the metrics for, is this a good investment? One of the things that we addressed actually in our own practice, we looked at the, the value that was expected and we said to each other, how are we going to cover the financing cost of doing this if we lose the rainmaker here who's generating all the value? There's no scalability here. Why would I pay top dollar for that? And as a result, it created a debate that that wasn't, you know, that I would say one side didn't have really good defense against an analyst who's coming in looking at it from a business perspective and saying, right. this doesn't make sense, guys. You you might have all kinds of, you know, a relationship value, but it's not transferable. And that's because all those years, that part of the business wasn't really treated like an enterprise, like an entrepreneur. Yeah. One thing that also comes to mind though is like, okay, let's say I answer that question, I don't care. I want my lifestyle business and whatever. You know, I'm not interested in really dealing with it. But I want to be around for the next 20 years and grow and have clients coming in, right? I think then that what Robert Sophia is saying about like scalability and digital and all of these things is just as important, whether you want to exit from your practice or let it fall apart. If you want to grow and capture your share of clients and AUM, if that's your thing, um, well, then you better start doing this stuff because otherwise it, you're, you're going to be struggling more and more to get them, whether you want to exit or not. Yeah, that's very true. Well, that's, well, that's great. So let's, let's tell everybody who's listening, do what we always do. This is our action point. So what are two to three things that if you're listening to this that you can do? What, where would you go, Derek, if you were making some recommendations to those that are listening? I'm going to actually start with my last one first. And just like, okay. if you were looking at, like you mentioned, like an analyst, if I'm looking at my business from the outside in, mm. would I buy it? And what would I buy it for? Right. You know, is, is it, is it worth something? Does it have all of the things that I would want as an investor to purchase something, whether I'm going to buy it just as an investment or buy it as like the new advisor taking over mm. um, and be honest with yourself. That's a really, really big question. Um, and then also like to Robert's point, like, do you have documented and scalable processes and tech in place to do the things you want to do? Exit or not, doesn't really matter. Do you have those things in place? And if you don't, then that, that would be a place I would start looking for right away. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, just to get more granular, like how do you document this stuff? Like break it apart. Like 
What's your first client meeting? Like, what's your sales process? What is your digital marketing process? Write these things down. And mm-hmm. then yes or no, is it scalable? Is it automated? Things of that nature. That's, that's okay. some stuff that I would ask advisors to look at. Got it. So you're saying make, build the recipe from the practice so that it is transferable. That's what, that's what I heard, right? Yeah, Take those processes, like- break it down, and then make it a process and see where you can actually put tech or people or delegates uh, to do this work, right? Totally. Because, Whether that's you know, to enhance your lifestyle or sell or both, like this is how you do it. No, that makes sense. I mean, any, any entrepreneur is going to be looking for efficiency. So there's a couple of things that I picked up here. I think there's a real challenge with financial practitioners slash entrepreneurs in knowing what KPIs or key performance indicators uh, that they can benchmark right now that are not necessarily AUM or sales only driven, right? We all know that the, the top advisor in the company has the highest AUM. <laughs> Right. Again, another salesman, the, the top advisor oh, gosh. has the highest premium placed, right? That yeah. it's, it's a, I understand it's a sales game. What's always, but we could always ask them, what are they doing to run their practice? We might not actually get the answer we're looking for. If we're actually thinking about, is yeah. it the most efficient? That doesn't mean it's the most efficient and therefore obviously the most highest multiple value there. Um, or scalable feel, or repeatable. Right. KPIs are, are recurring revenue. I'm buying recurring revenue if I'm making a capital investment. You Are you giving me strong growth? Do I get a good CAGR? Do I look at revenue growth? What is your net margin? What, what is your gross margin? These are the questions we should start asking. If you're not familiar with these terms, you might have to go back to your CFA handbooks or your CFP and say, what is a reasonable investment look like? What's the, RO, what's the ROR um, uh, or return on investment rather that, that, that someone would expect from this practice? And are you running in a way that actually matches, let's say the S&P? Would I invest in you versus invest in the S&P and look at that price to earnings ratio and say, gosh, this is something, you know this stuff, right? Let's just turn the, let's turn the mirror or the gaze, glazing glass on us to figure that out. Um, I, I would say if you're running a business, you got to look for inefficiencies, right? So you got to consider delegating. I know for many of us that are really A-type person personalities that want to be out there in the field, we want to talk to people. We don't want to do operations management. One of the reasons why many of us started with, we'll call it turnkey programs is because we didn't want to do this. Uh, but eventually you get to the, the point where it doesn't make sense in some measure to offload everything. Consider adding an operations manager, someone who loves this stuff and hold them to task for managing to specific KPIs that are entrepreneurial minded uh, or capital minded. I think these are really important with specific goals. Like I want to get us to in the next two years, uh, you know, a net retained uh, revenue of X and an ongoing uh, an ongoing customer acquisition cost of Y. And you start to work towards these. You figure out then what you have to execute to get there. And it might be tech, it might be human, it might be delegating, it might be offshoring. I don't know. But the point is that all business owners are really going to have to make this decision going forward. And I think the last piece about this is that everything that Robert talked about is really brand transferability, right? How Can I take the brand and make it not just about me as the, the, the financial advisor and make it about this practice, which has long-term value? Uh, and that's the question is, are you, if you're still critical to the entire process as the financial advisor, it's not scalable yet. There's a lot here, folks. Don't get overwhelmed, but you're doing this for your clients already. Step back and do it for yourself. You're, you're going to be happy one way or other. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make a huge difference. I mean, Robert said it. We've said it before. The world's changed and it's changed fast. Um, these are things that help you change with it. 
Well, let's take this opportunity to run to our last section uh, to close out this podcast. As you know, we always ask a question or a question is asked of us. We, we add one question to the end of our podcast. And this one comes from Sharon, uh, also using LinkedIn. Seems like everybody's using LinkedIn. Um, so I'll ask this of you, Derek. So uh, Sharon writes, I built a respectable BD practice under my own name, and I continue to get solicitations to consider moving my registrations. How do advisors know what they're really getting and what they're leaving behind from their current organizations they're tied to? This happens a lot. In fact, I was cold called this morning to go to a different firm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it happens all you the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's on a different planet though. So I, I, that oh. might work. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know why I even said that. Just one of those days, Adam. It's Monday. It's okay. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, yeah. Okay, Sharon. Thank you. This is an interesting question. I think a lot of advisors think this or get you know pitched from other firms, like, "Hey, here's all the great stuff that we have here." And I, I, I've, I a lot of advisors have asked me that, Derek. Like, this firm's saying this, blah blah blah. I think in, in short, Sharon, like it depends. Like I think first, you really got to figure out like what are you paying for and what are you getting where you are today. Like get super granular. I think a lot of BD advisors don't actually realize how much they're spending each year for all the things that are getting, quote unquote. Um, you know, put it into a dollar figure. Would you stroke a check to your current BD for everything that you're getting currently, and would it be worth it? And then look at the new firm. Do you get all that stuff? Do you get more? What's it going to cost you? Like just, I mean, if you're simple, get a yellow pad and write the stuff down side by side. But a lot, it's tough because there's not transparency here, um, unfortunately, on multiple levels. Yeah. Um, and then if you're going to consider moving, like, do you have to go to another BD? Why not just go independent? That's something else that I would add to that, you know, yellow pad, you know, uh, comparison. What do you think? Well, it's there's so many opportunities today, and it's hard to give specific guidance for anybody's you know situation. So. Um, no different than giving investment recommendation, but right. I, would, I would offer this, right? We just went through you know, 25 or so minutes of explaining the mindset. If you're thinking about this answer from a financial advisor, you're going to tend to think, or sorry, from a, a practice manager's perspective, you're going to think about it from what's my customer experience? Do they offer me better tech? Is it simpler to execute trades? Do they offer me better benefits? Or, you know what I'm saying? But if you look at it from an entrepreneurial perspective, you might get stuck more on the financial side and say, well, where am I going to go in the next 10 years? And where am I going to arrive? And do I want to be part of this brand as a backbone or do I want to be part of my existing, right? So, so there's, I, I think it's about what you're focusing on. If you're focusing on just, I'm really aggravated where I am and anything would be better, right? This, right? <laughs> so that's, that's, you know, it's almost going to be an emotional decision, <laughs> Um, but if you're really looking at it from an entrepreneurial and a practice management, I really think the focus has to be, can you still deliver the kind of uh, expectations of what Robert said early on, which is, can I deliver an exceptional customer experience better than I can today Okay, with this new relationship? And then from the business end, can it help me get to where I want to be in 10 years faster or better or more efficiently than the current organization I have. And if that can't be proven for both of those decisions, then I would figure out how to innovate where you are. 
and, and that's and that's really that's the key. That's a challenge I think for all of us. You got to have some way to make a decision on this stuff. And I think we're going to unpack this in our next episode. We've got a lot of requests uh, to talk about independence and BD affiliation and so forth. So we're going to actually ask uh, an expert to come in and talk to us about what are those decision points, and then we'll debate it the way we do. Yeah. I think one thing I would add to this is be careful who you're like, especially the firm recruiting, trying to get you to move, be careful who you're talking to for information, because remember it's their job to sell you this new firm, mm-hmm. right? So you have to take that stuff with a little bit of a grain of salt. Like some, like I've heard horror stories where advisors were told everything they wanted to hear and then they did it and they're like, Oh, sorry. No, I, I was wrong on that one. My bad, but you're here now. So whatever. Um, so just be careful on that. Like go slowly on this stuff. There's no, there's no rush and, and test the waters, right? Talk to people. That's, that's the real key yeah. is, is you want to talk to real humans that made that, that, that shift if they did so. Um, and then by the way, I, I wouldn't be uh, today the, the, the employment and job market is so insane, right. In in a good way for those looking for jobs. If you're ever getting recruited to go to another organization, you, you it, it's worth it for you if you have a relationship to talk to your existing organizations and say, "Hey, I'm contemplating this. Why do I want to stay?" and and get resold. Right? Tell us, tell yeah. me all the stuff you're doing for me that I don't know to value because you want to make a, a. And sometimes, by the way, you'd be surprised. Organizations find ways to keep you in ways that you didn't. This is think, a very thing to ask. So that's no different than any kind of employment structure. Sometimes you need to give your current uh, organization the opportunity to bid for you um, and show that they really want to keep you. So that's uh, something to think about. Everybody's going to be throwing hate mail at me after that one. Sorry, employers. Um, but it's the truth. It's happening. I think I'd rather know than see somebody walk out on us that we really wanted to keep. So um, that's important. To, yeah, it's to, just like an employee yeah. looking to go to a different company, right? Yeah, like, you know, I mean, I mean if, if you really want to keep them, you know. Sweet. Yeah, anyways, I mean, all right, we'll cool. talk about this later. Yeah, we'll wrap this up. All right. Well, thank you everybody for being part of this. We uh, hope that you uh, are enjoying the podcast. Please give us feedback. Please ask questions so that we can have content that just keep coming out our ears. Derek, as always, I appreciate talking to you. Yeah, man. Great seeing you. Be good. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you on the next one. You got it. Thank you for listening to Rethink, the financial advisor podcast with Holt and Notman. Be sure to subscribe now and join the ongoing conversation. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Asset Map or Connector. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.